Hi, my name is Nick Franklin. I grew up in a small church in Hop, Alabama. Uh, my parents made sure I was there every time the doors were open. At the age of eight, I decided to give my life to the Lord. And from that age up until about my junior year of high school, I tried my best to follow Him. When I was in high school, um, I started feeling like I couldn't measure up to God's standard or what I thought the standard was and trying to do everything right. And so um, all this guilt and shame started just piling on me, and I didn't understand God's grace. I started uh, drinking. I tried drugs, all this in my senior year in high school and junior year, um, and it just got worse and worse and went down a really dark path. Um, and this continued through college. Uh, I was in and out of school because I was partying and drinking and not focusing on what I needed to be doing and really running from God is what I was doing. Um, and that, that took place until I was about 25 years old. And I had a very good friend uh, die. And so I started reevaluating my life and looking at myself and wondering what could I have done to maybe talk to him or um, how was I sharing God? I, I knew that I was so far from where I needed to be. And um, so God started really working on my heart. Every time I would use drugs, I started having like a panic attack because I was scared. And one night during one of these episodes, I just got down on my knees and I just cried out to God. And I said, God, you got to rescue me. You know, I'm, I've broken. I've messed this up. I've destroyed myself in my life. And I've, um, I've ran from you. I've completely dishonored you. Please accept me and let me come back to you and fix me. And in that moment, you know, I felt God's Holy Spirit just come and, and clean me. You know, from the inside, I really felt a physical presence of God's Spirit cleaning my body. And, um, and, and God just, in complete grace, let me come back to Him and brought me back to Him. And uh, so He started cleaning me up. You know, all these things that I've been struggling with, with drugs, um, alcohol, he just started getting rid of these things one by one. Now that I'm living for God again, uh, he's allowed me to understand that it's never been about me. It's not about my performance. It's all about Jesus and what he did and who he says I am. And he declared me righteous and holy. And I don't have to try to live on my own strength. I can live on his. Yeah, that's a turnaround story, and we love turnaround stories like that at Centerpoint. Today, inside your bulletin, you'll see an outline entitled, God Used a Storm to Turn Around a Stubborn Prophet Named Jonah. And I'm going to talk about that. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, please raise your hand. We have ushers that will get one to you. Uh, but this is part of our series that we've entitled Storm Stories. Last week, we talked about how God used a storm in the life of his disciples to, show, uh, to reveal to them more of who he was so they'd understand him better. Sometimes God uses storms to do that. Sometimes God uses storms to turn us around. He did with Jonah. And today I'm going to talk with you about it. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God to speak to us. Lord, I pray that today you'll speak and move me out of the way. If you're going to take us through something difficult to turn us around because we've been stubborn, then Lord, open our eyes so we see what you're doing and help us turn around. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. You even guide us 
and how to turn around when we're going the wrong way. So, Lord, I'm counting on you to do business in our hearts today. Please do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a story about an Old Testament prophet named Jonah who ran from God. It happened about, he lived about 745 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, about 745 B.C. or 750 B.C. And um, point one simply tells us one day God came to Jonah and told him to announce judgment against the people of Nineveh, but Jonah ran the other way. This is a story about a disobedient prophet. Prophets were men and women in the Old Testament who received visions and dreams from the Lord, commands from the Lord, things they were supposed to tell the people of Israel, the kings of Israel, the leaders of Israel, and sometimes the leaders of other nations, that God had a message for them. Basically, I wrote out for you, there were three duties that a prophet was to carry out. Uh, If God came to you and gave you a word, you were supposed to proclaim it. This is, thus saith the Lord, this is the word of the Lord. Secondly, you're supposed to point out sin and consequences. Every time God gave his word to someone, say, this is what I want you to do, this is what you're actually doing. And if you keep going this way, this is how it's going to end up. And then thirdly, was to call people, the point of the message was to call people to repent and obey God. Turn around. Turn around. Quit going the wrong way. Well, a word of the Lord came to a prophet named Jonah. Jonah lived in northern Israel, and God was calling him to go and preach a word of judgment to some people who lived in Nineveh. I'll, tell you, I'll explain a little bit more where all that was in just a second. Let's read a few verses here. Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. This should indicate to us that this story is about to get very interesting. Okay, um, So he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, and he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, a lot of those place names don't mean anything to us, so... Let me put some modern-day place names on this. Jonah lived up near the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, and God was telling him to go to the ancient capital of Assyria when during the heyday of the Assyrian Empire, a city called Nineveh. Today, we know that area, the closest large city, is Mosul, Iraq. And if you look up Mosul, Iraq, there's still a lot of things happening there. It won't be hard to find a headline about Mosul. Well, Nineveh would have been located just a few miles from Mosul. So God was telling Jonah to go from northern Israel to northern Iraq. And Jonah instead went down to a seaport of Joppa in the Bible. Today, it's Jaffa, Israel, is the closest modern port. It's just a few miles from where the ancient port was. It was right there. Joppa became Jaffa, and you can go there today. And instead of going this way, he went down to the port and got on a ship and sailed for Tarshish. Where is Tarshish? Closest I can tell, it was next to the Rock of Gibraltar in Spain. Here. On the other side of the Mediterranean. So God told him to go here, and Jonah went here. This would be like God saying, John, I want you to go down to Miami, and I buy a ticket for Seattle. Okay? The other way. That's what's happening here. And Jonah says, Jonah was a prophet. God had given him a word to proclaim. 
He was to go to Nineveh. He was supposed to go there and point out the sin and their consequences, his judgment on them, and call people to repent and obey. And Jonah went, no, I'm going this way. You want me to go say to those people, I ain't doing it. Here's why. Note, Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated them. See, if a prophet goes and proclaims God's word, points out the sin and consequences and calls people to repent, some of them might repent, and Jonah wanted them all to go to hell. No, you will see by the time we finish this story, I'm not making this up. He wanted these people to go to hell on an express elevator. And if God was going to punish anybody, hey, punish these people, because I'm not going there. I'm not going to give a chance for these people to repent. I'm going the other way. Well, why did he hate them so much? Well, we have a clue in Nahum 3.1. This is another prophet about 100 years later who wrote this about the people of Nineveh. What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies. She is crammed with wealth and never without victims. That pretty much summarizes it. The Assyrians were known not only for being mighty conquerors and having a very powerful military, but for being brutal and cruel when they conquered other nations. They were wicked people, savage, and they boasted about their cruelty. If you go to Washington, D.C., and you see a uh, museum dedicated to the Holocaust there, I mean, you probably won't even want to go and have anything to eat afterwards. It's so disturbing. You see bales of human hair and piles of shoes, and you hear of horrible medical experiments that were done on people in the concentration camps under the Nazis. And all of that was built as a reminder to never be like these people again. Well, the Assyrians built displays like that in their own palaces. They bragged about it. Archaeologists have discovered all these reliefs, carved stone carvings into the walls of the palaces, huge murals where they would show the most barbaric acts when they would conquer people. They boasted about how cruel they could be. About 75, 80 years before Jonah lived, there was the, one of the kings of Assyria, one of the emperors of Assyria, Asher uh, Narzapal II. He lived from 883 to 859 BC. He wrote this, I skinned alive as many nobles as had rebelled against me, and I draped their skins over a pile of corpses. I cut off the heads of their fighters and built a tower of their skulls in front of the city. I burned their boys and girls alive. I captured many of their troops, and I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off others' noses and ears and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many of them. I made one pile of the living and one of the heads, and I hung their heads on trees around the city. There are dozens and dozens such inscriptions. Jonah likely knew people who'd been hauled off in slavery, maybe tortured to death, maybe had their hands cut off. They were known for cutting off the extremities of their victims except for the right hand. They'd wait for that to be last, and they'd shake hands with them as they cut off their head. And God came to Jonah one day, preached judgment against the people of Nineveh, point out their sin and their consequences, and Jonah knew that if he did that, some of them would repent. He goes, I'm not going. I hope they all go to hell. Send down fire. I don't care. Get somebody else, God. I ain't doing it. And that's the story of Jonah. But there's a life application here. 
it's foolish to try to run from God. When God tells you to do something, you shouldn't try to run away because we can't run from God. We can't run from him. David talked about this in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of the oceans, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light will become night around me, well, even the darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And David's son Solomon was wisely wrote, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all his paths. And if you and I are going to try to run from God, we are just kidding ourselves. There's no place to hide. And Jonah's about to find that out the hard way. So he goes down to Joppa, Jaffa today, gets on a boat sailing for Spain. And all of a sudden a storm comes up. Point two, God used a terrible storm to turn Jonah around. Again, this is why we're looking at some storm stories. Next week we'll look at another one. But God used storms. He brought storms for different purposes in different people's lives. And this time it was to turn him around. To turn him around. But the Lord heard a, a power, hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep. An underlined sound asleep there, please. Down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Now, don't miss the irony of this. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord whom God speaks to. God had spoken to him with a word to proclaim. The sailors have never had God speak to them. But they have sailed the seas for many years, and they've never seen a storm like this. This is a supernatural type of storm. And so they're praying to every God they can think of. And the captain even comes down the hole and he goes, Hey, why are you sleeping? How can you be sleeping here? You need to be praying. Don't miss the irony. The prophet who hears from God is the one who refuses to pray. No, not praying. Also, it should be significant here that he's fast asleep. I mean, everything is crashing around them. They're throwing cargo overboard. They're just hoping to survive. This is a violent storm, and Jonah's sleeping right through it. Because if you and I make up our mind that we know the right thing to do and we're going to do the wrong thing anyway, it doesn't matter what comes our way. We're completely blind to it. We can sleep right through the biggest storm. All of our friends can be telling us and we'll never see it. Don't believe me? I can't tell you how many times I have conversations with people. They are in the middle of an addiction. Their friends have told them they have a problem. Their spouse has told them they have a problem. Their parents have told them they have a problem. It's affecting their business. It's affecting their marriage. It's affecting everything they do. It's affecting their health. And they come and go, I just don't think I have a problem. How can you be asleep at a time like this? What, are you kidding me? Wake up and call to God. Or somebody can be involved in a sinful relationship. It's gone way out of bounds from being proper in things. And their friends have warned them. And their spouse has warned them. And all kinds of people are talking here. And you go, hey, hey. Hey, this is getting dangerous. You need to break this off. What are you talking about? They're fast asleep. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, I don't think we can't relate to this story. We can. 
We can. But isn't it ironic? The pagans who don't know God are praying their knees off, and the one guy who does know God refuses to pray. Wow. So, finally they woke him up, and the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. Terrible storm. So this is kind of like drawing straws, and Jonah drew the short straw. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why does this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? And Jonah basically told them this. Well, I'm a prophet, and I'm supposed to proclaim God's word and point out the consequences of the people in Nineveh, and I ran away. And, and so here's how that turned out. And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors go, oh, you're kidding me. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this terrible storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it'll become calm again, for I know this terrible storm is all my fault. I mean, let me just stop here again. I mean, the guy who's supposed to go proclaim God's word point out its consequences and call people to repent is having the sailors come to him and go, please repent. Why did you do it? How do we make this right? You're supposed to be laughing now because this is really funny. Okay, I mean, this is ironic. The prophet, God's man, is completely stone blind. Can't see what God's doing. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. I mean, that dot, dot, dot area, they tried to row for land. They didn't want to throw him overboard. These sailors cared more for him. He didn't care anything for them. When he got on board that ship, he wasn't thinking about them or the cargo. All he thought about was his own raggedy soul. Uh, he wasn't talking to no Ninevites. Hmm. Oh, Lord, don't hold us responsible. You've sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked Jonah up, and they threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. But back to the storm here again. A life application is this. Running from God is always a bad idea. Not only because there's no place to hide, but it's a bad idea because if God's after you, he can find you, okay? And if he's hunting you down, just give up. David figured this out here in Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. I groaned all day long, day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. God was after him. Can I tell you, if you're running from God and your conscience is heavy and it seems like everything is hard right now, what would you want God to do if he's trying to get you to go the right direction? And if I won't pray and if I won't read his word and I won't go around God's people, well, then there's pretty much one avenue left. God's got to bring a storm into my life to wake me up. I mean, Jonah was running. And God brought a storm to turn him around. 
Running from God's a bad idea. It's a very bad idea. When God's on the opposite side, if I make God my adversary, oh my goodness. He is very strong. Now, by the same token, the very fact that he was after Jonah should give you and me a lot of comfort here. This stubborn old prophet, God was after him. I mean, you understand why, of course. He was trying to get the people of Nineveh to repent. He, first of all, had to get his own guy to repent. It's so hard to get good help these days. I mean, I can't even get my own guy to repent. He had to chase after him. When the prophet would finally repent, then the people could finally repent. Wow, what if God was trying to reach people in our culture who were far from him, and he had to get the Christians to repent first? Uh Uh-oh, this is about to get terribly personal. I'm just telling you here. Running to God is always, running away from God is always a bad idea. Running to God, returning to him, is always a great idea. Let's go down to the rest of Psalm 32 there. A few more verses anyway from Psalm 32. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Would you read that last sentence with me, please, starting with, oh, what joy? Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. What joy. And finally, when Jonah gets chunked overboard, is in the belly of this fish, he cries out to the Lord. This is from Jonah 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I guess he didn't have anything better to do. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. Now he's finally talking to God. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I'll fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Good, he's recommitting his life to the Lord. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach, right back there at Joppa where he started. And the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. And this time Jonah obeyed obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. Well, I guess so. (laughs) Yes, it would be foolish to try to run again. This time he went. Now look, guys, I'm just telling you how important it is. The story, the storm story is in here. Had Jonah just obeyed, the storm never would have been necessary. There would have never been that loss of cargo. He wouldn't have had to spend three nights, three days and nights inside the belly of a fish if he just would have gone. But he wouldn't. No. If you tell me to forgive, I won't because you don't know what these people did to me. You tell me to go, I won't. I want to live my life my way. I mean, before we start being too critical of Jonah, realize we can say the same things in our lives. God's going to ask us to forgive people we'd rather not forgive. It's highly likely God's going to send us to places where we might be way out of our comfort zone. Hmm. Well, Jonah went, this is point three, but sadly he failed to pass on the very mercy and compassion, mercy and compassion that God had just shown him. 
He did go. Give him credit for that. And it was successful. Here's what happened. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. So, doing the prophet's work here again, he pointed out the sin and its consequences. I mean, they all knew how wicked they were. They had murals about it all over the city, okay? 40 days from now, y'all are going to be toast. 40 days from now, God's going to destroy you. 40 days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Just run and see. That was his whole sermon. It was a one-liner sermon. And the results were unbelievable. The people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least, and they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Now, that's where there should be a little dot, dot, dot there. Sorry, but I couldn't put the whole chapter. I couldn't put all of Jonah in the outline. So let me read you a few more verses that, that happened there. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. That's how you showed great sorrow and great remorse. And then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And so here again, these are people just hoping. They don't even know God at all. They've been so wicked and far from him. But when they hear they're going to be destroyed, they repent. And now we'll continue on here in your outline. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and didn't carry out the destruction he'd threatened. And this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home you do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Didn't I tell you you'd go and have mercy on these people? Didn't I know that if I pointed this out that, they'd all, that a bunch of them would repent? Now look, they all repented. Fine. <laughs> and we laugh at it because you go, what are you talking about, Jonah? Well, look, Lord, I'm going to look like a fool. I predicted they'd be destroyed and now they won't be destroyed. No, the duty of a prophet is to proclaim his word, point out God's word, point out the sin and the consequences, and call the people to repent and obey. You're the best prophet ever. I mean, you preach one sentence and the whole place repents. On the boat, you don't even do anything except tell them to pitch you overboard and the whole crew repents. I mean, Billy Graham never had a day like that. Never. And so here's Jonah, the best prophet ever. Everybody's running to God and Jonah's the one walking away. Can you believe this guy? Yeah, actually, I can. Let's kind of update it. Okay, let's talk about, instead of Nineveh, let's talk about Mosul, where Isis is. And let's say right outside of Mosul, not far from the ruins of Nineveh, they decapitate a whole bunch of Christian families and put their heads on poles and smear their blood on the door frames of their houses. Are you and I praying that God will have mercy on them and that God will send a messenger to them so they can be forgiven? Seriously, think about it with me here. 
The last time you heard about a terrorist attack, did you pray for the terrorists and say, oh God, please send someone to them so they can stop this wickedness? God, please send someone to these people to change their hearts so they will stop hating and killing? Or what if we all of a sudden were like Jonah? Lord, call down fire on them. Smite them. I hope they go to hell. Be careful now. It's a lot easier to think like Jonah than we'd care to admit. What about the person at work? Spread all kinds of rumors about you. What about someone in your family you haven't spoken to in 10 years? Hmm. Do we care? Are we willing to pray? Here's a life application. We must pass on the mercy and compassion that God has shown us. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This story is meant to trouble us. Troubles me. Troubled Jonah. I mean, listen to what he said. He said, Lord, it's just like you. I knew this. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? You are filled with compassion. You are merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're always eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord, if you're going to let mercy flow out on people like these people. So God used a storm to turn Jonah around. He'd shown him great mercy, gave him a second chance to go do exactly what he knew he was supposed to do. And yet Jonah was unwilling to pass that mercy along. May that never be said of us. And that brings us to the last life application. God can use storms to turn us around. To turn, I put my name in there, John Schmidt. But you can put your name in there. You can put my name in there if it makes you feel better, okay? Because it's certainly true. God can use storms to turn me around. But he can use storms to turn you around too, if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to repent and obey. But that's always the key, isn't it? Even though Jonah turned around, God still couldn't make his heart soft. Jesus himself commented about Jonah one day. There were some people who gathered around him who didn't believe in him. Jesus performed many signs and wonders. He raised people from the dead. He made blind people see and lame people walk. And There were people, no matter how many miracles he did, people were always going, well, one more and then I'll believe. And so one day this was happening. This evil generation, Jesus said, keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. Hey, do another trick, Jesus. Hey, I wasn't here yesterday when that blind guy could heal somebody else now. I want to see another miracle. That's really what's going on. Then we'll believe in you. Jesus said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. Plenty had already been done. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What's that? Well, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, three nights, the Son of Man would be in the tomb for three days. What happened to Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. 
They repented with a one-sentence sermon. Man, I wish I could do that. Some of you are going, I wish you could do one-sentence sermons too. John's getting late. I mean, think about that. One sentence, and the whole place hits their knees. Wow. But it's because the people were willing to listen and repent. Jesus said, if I did half the miracles there at Nineveh that have been done here, these people would have repented a long time ago. They're going to condemn you all on Judgment Day. I mean, Jesus could open the eyes of blind people, but he couldn't make people with eyes look and understand. He could open the ears of deaf people, but he couldn't make people with perfect hearing listen. Are you and I willing to listen? Did God speak to you today as I was reading this story? Have you and I allowed our hearts to become stubborn and saying, I won't change. I won't give up my addiction. I won't forgive that person. I won't go. It's easier to get there than you and I care to admit. A couple of years ago, there was a fellow, uh, a few years ago, there was a fellow and his wife that came to see me. They were having marital issues and the wife had told me that they were coming in because he was stubborn and angry and just a, a hurtful person, a hurtful, angry person. And I always kind of take it with a grain of salt until I meet both sides, I want to hear both sides. And after I talked to him, I found out she was right. He was a hurtful, angry, mean person. And so I pulled him aside and I said, hey, something's got to change here. You've got you to gotta let go of all this anger and bitterness about some things that happened in the past. You've got to let go of this. You've got you to give this to Jesus. You need Christ in your heart because this is, it's ruining your life. It's ruining your marriage. Well, he didn't care for my advice at all. And he got up and with a few choice words, he slammed the door to my office and walked out. And I did not hold that as a high watermark for my pastoral counseling abilities, okay? <laughs> well, that didn't go very well. Um, didn't know what else to do but pray for him. Well, it's about two and a half, three years later. Comes walking in after worship service. Comes right in, walking straight up toward me. I'm going, well, this is going to get interesting today. Um, he comes up to me and goes, do you remember who I am? And I went, uh, yes, I do. Do you remember what you told me before I walked out of your office? I said, I told you you need to repent of your sins, that your anger and bitterness is going to destroy you, and you need to give your heart to Jesus. Yes, that's what I told you. And he said, I know. And do you know that for like two and a half years, I was angry at you? Do you know how angry I was? I said, well, yeah, you... You slammed the door pretty hard. Yeah, I know you were angry. And um, he said, I would just blame you for every problem that was going on in my life, even though you didn't have anything to do with it, until one day after I had made a mess of so many things, um, I couldn't sleep one night, and I was flipping through the television, and there was a guy on TV, and he said, are you blaming someone else for your problems? Are you running from God? Are you angry? You need to let go of your anger and give your heart to Jesus. He said, he said almost exactly the same thing you said. But this time I was ready to listen, and so he fell to his knees right there in his living room, and he said, I gave my heart to Jesus. He said, I want you to know everything since then has changed. And he stuck out his hand, I just want to tell you thank you for speaking the truth to me. So now that's one of my better pastor, pastoral counseling moments. <laughs> no, that's all God. But I tell you that story... And we started with a story on this message, a modern-day story. This is an old story. There's new ones. They're just the same. As a pastor, can I tell you, if you're running from God, you've got nowhere to hide. 
As a pastor, can I tell you, please come home to Jesus and stop running. There's joy and refreshment. You don't have to keep going here. Come to Jesus. And for the rest of us who come to Jesus, can I remind us that God wants us to pass that on? The compassion and love we've received? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you brought a storm into that stubborn prophet's life. And Lord, I thank you that even though he preached with a bad attitude, it was enough. And God, I thank you, Father, that those people repented. And God, there will be many others who repent if we're willing to just in love tell them, I love you. And I, I want to tell you, you got to come back to Jesus. You got to quit running. Pray, Father, if there's someone here today and they've been running from you, they know the right thing to do, but they've clenched their fist and said, I won't do it. I won't get help. I won't forgive. I won't quit drinking. I won't whatever that you do business in our hearts today and we quit fighting you. If the Lord spoke to you about something needs to change, pray to him now and say, God, I'm, I'm tired of running. I'm done. Help me be more like Jesus than Jonah. And Father, the next time we hear about horrible things done by people who live very immoral, wicked lifestyles or terrorists who are killing people, remind us to stop and pray that, Lord, you will send people into the lives of these folks so their hearts can change. I thank you, Lord, that you love the world so much that you sent your only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I thank you that's a promise for the whole world, not just Alabama. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.